ahead and grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with. Today is Palm Sunday, and I am excited about this morning because I've been studying kind of the Passion Week leading up to Easter, uh, leading into all of that. And so as I'm studying for that and looking at the hero of the story, Jesus, on Easter Sunday, I couldn't help, as I read the story, couldn't help but be drawn then to the villain of the story, to Judas, to his role in all of this. And as I'm thinking about Judas and his role in the villain of the story, I couldn't help but think of all of the greatest villains in the past that we have seen in our lifetime. Some of the greatest villains of our culture, greatest villains of our history. And so I thought we would reminisce with each other. Now that we're together, I thought we'd reminisce about some of the greatest villains of all time. Throw that first one up there for us. Come on. I'm going to scare you guys today, all right? We have Cruella DeVille. Right. Wanted to kill all of the puppies. I don't know what her deal was, but gave us all nightmares. Come on, somebody. You just you just come on. You can be brave, but this just something about this. All right. Here's our next one. Come on. Here's our next Darth Vader. Ooh, we're going to go on the other to which my kids, my boys who love Star Wars more than life itself are like, Dad, Darth Vader's really not the bad guy. It's Darth Sidious. And he does all the bad. Darth Vader's not all that bad, really. He's not all, to which I say, don't you be talking smack about Darth Vader. All right. Because this dude's a legend. This is, uh, don't be, I'm not going to diss on Darth Vader at all. And so we have that quarrel going for the things. All right, next one, everybody, for all of you. If you have a preschooler, <laughs> if you have a preschool child, you know exactly why this is up here. If you do not have a preschool child, you don't know why that's there. You don't know. Ugh, just, just go ahead. If this is a part of your life, go ahead and cut it out, all right? Villain, villain, everybody. Next one up, we got Batman fans in the house. We got Joker. Just legendary there. No Batman fans in the house? All right, we'll just... We'll just and because it's Palm Sunday and it's funny, everybody. Here we go. Where's my next one? Come on. <laughs> Even if you like cats, you agree this is the villain, everybody. This right here. <laughs> had to do it. I just had to do it. All right, Wicked Witch of the West. Here's our next one. Come on. Evil, evil personified. Maybe gave a whole other generation nightmares. This is where he just has this thing. All right, next one. And this guy, whoever this guy is, villain. <laughs> villain, everybody. This is the villain. This was after one of the hardest days. This is right after the flood, everybody. It's about a month after we lost everything. We're here working at the church. Everything is nasty. And I had to get a replacement license. And so I rolled down there and thought, they're just going to print me one. They said, no, you have to take a new picture. And I thought, that's fine. It'll just be for a year. Just go ahead and give it five years, everybody. I have carried this around in my wallet. Five years until this last week, I got set free at the DMV. Come on, somebody. I took a new. I might show you the new picture next week. All right. I might show you. But I got, I have been set free and I want everybody to know it this Palm Sunday. (laughs) Villain, villain, everybody. Never trust him for replacement lines. All right. And possibly the worst villain of all. Come on, show me that. I'm just saying, come on. I would say Coach K had to retire, so it's a rule that Saban has to go with him. Come on, it just that's just the way sports work. That's just the way. <laughs> Anyways, there's this guy. Come on, every husband's arch nemesis. <laughs> Villain for making all of our wives believe that every wall in the house is removable. Every wall, nothing load-bearing in there at all, right? We just take it all. You want that wall? It doesn't matter, baby. We can take it all. No, we can't because he's not real, all right? This is not... You want an antique door that fits no door jam on the planet? Yeah, we can make that work. We can do. He's not real, all right? I'm going to help some husbands out today. This guy, he has crews that come in when he leaves the scene and does all of the work. Chip, <laughs> we're going we're to set some people free today. We're going to do this. Villain. And then, of course, for today's purposes, Paul, Sunday, he got Judas. 
villain who betrayed Jesus with a kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane. Got Judas, the greatest villain. His name is now synonymous with betrayal. We have all these other villains that we know. This one we know most of all. Synonymous with betrayal. We think of him as one of the greatest villains of all time. And as I studied his story this week, his part in all of this, the story of his thing, I couldn't help but wonder what if Judas wasn't always the villain that we make him out to be? What if he wasn't always as terrible as me? Because we go back to Matthew chapter 10 in your Bibles. If you want to flip over there, verse 1, Jesus called all 12 of his disciples. Watch this. He calls all 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness, which means Judas would have been one of those commissioned on that day. Judas would have been one of those 12 that went out ministering, given that permission by Jesus to go out authority to cast out evil spirits to heal every kind of disease. And at his own hands, he would have seen the blind eyes opened. He would have seen miracles take place. He would have seen evil spirits cast out. Judas was around. He would have heard the teachings of Jesus. He would have seen with his own eyes the dead raised to life. Judas would have seen. He was a part of the ministry. So much so that later on in the Gospels, in John chapter 13, when Jesus stood up and he said, one of you is going to betray me. One of you. And so watch the next verse. And then they looked and stared at one another. So much so Judas was a part of them. So much so he was a part of the ministry and the things that they were doing. The disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. Now, all of us think if we were there, we would have been like, "Mm, it's Judas. It's Judas, everybody. That's just I have I have researched and I have looked and I just know it's Judas. You would have thought they'd have said, well, he's always been the outsider. He's the outcast. He's always had a bad attitude. He's always been the one that wasn't a part of us. He's just always been. He's always kind of been like that. It's got to be Judas. But that's not true. Says they were at a loss to know who it was because he looked like them, talked like them, believed like them, did all the things, acted like he believed. Did all of the things like them to where they're at a loss to know who it was that's going to betray Jesus. So what made him so different from the other disciples? What happened in Judas that took him from follower of Christ to the greatest betrayer of all time? What what happened in his life? Because we know he had some issues in life, like all of us. So Judas's particular area was greed. He just had a problem with money. Judas had this, this particular sin with money. And we find out about it when Jesus is in the city of Bethany. Six days before the Passover. So it's yesterday, Saturday before Palm Sunday. And Jesus is with Mary and Martha hanging out, having enjoying a meal together. And Mary brings this expensive ointment to anoint the feet of Jesus. This is a prophetic preparing for his burial. And she spills this ointment over his feet. And all of a sudden, Judas has a problem. And so watch this in John chapter 12. It says, but one of his disciples... Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him. And I think that's just, that's hilarious to me. Because anytime the gospel writers mention Judas, they cannot do it when they write about it. They cannot do it without saying, and he's the one that betrayed Jesus. They just want to, like, when they're right, they get a little salty about Judas after the fact. They start writing, like, when they say, Judas Iscariot, and don't forget, he's the one. Don't, don't ever forget, he's the one that betrayed Jesus. He objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And so Judas is kind of upset about this, but watch this, not because he wants to help the poor, but because he was a thief and as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put inside of it. And so Judas didn't really care about the poor. It's because he was a thief. So he wanted a piece of the action. He wanted some of the money that would have become if they were to sell that, that ointment and give to the poor. And so he's got this sin thing going on in his life, which probably would have kept him from seeing clearly. So Judas is a part of them. He's doing all the things like them, but he's got this hidden sin in his life. He's taking from the money bag. And so it would have kept him from seeing clearly. Not only that, but I think there's something else at play here. 
Because Judas, just like the other 11 disciples, Judas would have grown up in this Jewish culture. He would have had some expectations when the Messiah would come. And honestly, all of the 11 disciples, all other 11, would have had the same expectation. He probably would have believed that Jesus was going to establish a physical kingdom. And so you see this in the life of the disciples. And so we don't get to see it as clearly in Judas's life. But they would have grown up thinking that Jesus was going to establish basically freedom from the Romans and another Jewish state. That there would have been another Israeli nation and they would have freedom from all the enemies around them. They would have believed that. Honestly, it's what they would have believed when Gabriel came to Mary and gave the prophecy about Jesus's birth. And we'll read that together. It says he'll be great. It'll be great and he'll be called the son of the most high Lord God almighty. That he will give him the throne of his father David. That was a physical, literal throne. That he would reign forever and ever in his descendants and his kingdom will never end. They kind of expected he would establish a sovereign Jewish state. That he would give them freedom from the Romans. And that's what the Magi were looking for. Behold, the king of the Jews. In fact, Jesus had this problem in his ministry. You watch this in, watch this in John chapter 6. Right after Jesus feeds the 5,000. Watch what happens to him when he does this miracle. After they saw the sign he performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is supposed to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing they intended, watch this, to come and make him king by force withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus knew they were about to come and try to fulfill this thing they thought was supposed to happen. And so he withdraws into it by himself. He goes out into the mountains so they wouldn't start this revolution. Judas, so, so then Judas, along honestly with all the other 11 disciples, believed Jesus is going to overthrow the Romans, even though Jesus kept saying, my kingdom is not of this world. That's not why I came. I'm not here to overthrow the Romans. Jesus kept saying, my kingdom is not of this. My servants are not from this. This is not what my kingdom is about. Even though he kept saying that over and over and over again, they still believed. And each disciple had to come to grips with what the kingdom of God actually was. Each disciple, in their own way, had to come to grips with what the kingdom of God actually meant. And so you see the one who can't accept this. This Jesus guy is not somebody I can follow anymore. Judas goes to the high priest and he says, what will you give me if I turn him over to you? And they gave him 30 silver coins to which everybody says, well, that's it. It's because of greed. He sold Jesus out for money. But I would submit to you that it couldn't just be about greed. Because that was the equivalent of about a month's daily wage. It would be about $3,000 in today's money. Which is a lot of money. But if I could remind you, Judas was Jesus' bag bearer. He was the one who kept the money. He could help himself to the money anytime he wanted to. So he had financial reasons for Jesus' ministry not to end. It couldn't have just been about the money. Couldn't have just been. Now, Judas had a problem with greed, so he always throws money into anything that he does. But he begins this selling out of Jesus. He had this reason. It was this expectation that he would rule and reign in this kingdom Jesus would bring. This expectation that Jesus isn't executing the plan the way I think it ought to go. He's not being the Messiah I think ought to be. And so, in fact, we see remorse in Judas's life as Jesus is condemned to die. Judas looks on and he thinks, what have I done? When he sees what happens in remorse, watch this, he returns the silver, he's condemned, he sees with remorse, return the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elder. He runs to the temple. He runs to the chief priest and the elder. He says, I've sinned, for I've betrayed innocent blood. And watch their response, what is that to us? They replied, what is that to us? That's your responsibility. Well, Judas didn't know what to do at that point. He doesn't know how to handle that. And so in verse 5, he throws the money into the temple, went away and hanged himself. And he ends his life. See, the thing that's so fascinating to me about this story is the closer I look at Judas, 
from his beginning, from his distraction, from his things that he go through in his life. The closer I look at Judas, the more uncomfortable I become. Because honestly, if I'm honest with you, I can find parts of Judas in my own life. And so my question for you this Palm Sunday is, what if we all are a little bit more like Judas than we would care to admit? What if we're a little bit more like him than we would care to admit? Because I think there are some things in his story we can probably relate to. Maybe some of us today are just distracted by sin. Maybe we have something in our lives. You know, we get areas of temptation and all of us have them, but they're different for all of us. It may be gossiping. It may be pride. It may be greed. It may be lust. We all have these areas of sin in our lives. And honestly, they're different, but all of us have one of them. We have these areas in our life, and there's a million different things that get in our hearts, but we tell ourselves it's not a big deal. We tell ourselves it's not going to really derail my destiny. It's just something little that I've allowed in. It's not going to really keep me from following Christ. It's just something. It's just an issue that I have. But little by little, it takes a stronghold in our life, eventually it becomes habitual sin. And suddenly we wake up and find ourselves with this stronghold we cannot tear down. We've let that thing work its way in. And all of a sudden it becomes the filter that we see life through. And we're not able to see things clearly like Judas. We're not able to see things. You start making bad decisions out of a bad perception. It's kind of like when you drive, everybody. Not when you drive, right? When someone else drives. You've ever ridden shotgun with anybody who drives distracted. If you've ever sat in the car and somebody, they got their phone and they got their air and they got their music and the volume and they got all the, and they got to drive with their knee because they need both hands, right, to do all the other things. And you're just sitting there watching impending doom coming towards you in the form of oncoming traffic. And you sometimes will throw up your hand like you're going to stop it, right? You're going to somehow stop the 2,000 pound car coming right at you. It's just, we have, if you've ever been in that situation, unless we poke our spouse in this moment, everybody, when we get behind the wheel of the car, we are the exact same. Come on, we are. There is not a safe driver among us. No, not one. Not a one of you would I. Not, not a one of you. I don't care what your insurance company tells you. You are not a safe driver, all right? None of you. None of you are. But you start to get distracted. You start making bad decisions. You start get distracted. You start seeing things not quite focused on the actual thing that matters. You start getting distracted. You start making bad decisions distracted by sin. And Romans talks about this issue in chapter 1. It says they knew God. Speaking about people that have encountered, that word is the gnosko. It means to encounter and to truly experience the power of God. That they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks for the things that He has done. So they start to get distracted by things of life. They're not giving God the things that He deserves. And then all of a sudden, watch what happens. In the next verse, watch what happens. They begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was actually like. Begin to think of, well, God's not actually like that, or that's not actually important to God. Or I can let that thing into my life because God doesn't really care if I allow that little thing. And honestly, God doesn't really care about that area. And if it makes me happy and if it makes me fulfilled, then he'll let me have a little bit of this and that and dabble over there. We begin to think foolish ideas of who God even is. And as a result, their minds become dark and clouded. And we start saying things like, God doesn't mind that. It doesn't matter if I compromise we start living out of this bad perception. We start thinking out of this bad place. And we start making horrible, horrible decisions distracted by sin. And maybe others of us are just deceived by false expectations. You know, in modern day Christianity, we sell this version of the gospel that's not really the gospel. We get this idea Jesus died to make all of our dreams come true. That if we somehow give our lives to God, then he'll make all of our expectations and plans and everything come true. And yet that's not what Jesus brought and that's not what Jesus taught. It's not what he said. But too often times we think if I can just somehow give my life over to God, I'll have my plans come. Because if you're like me, you've got some pretty good plans for your life. 
we're just honest with each other. You probably have some good, pretty good plans about how your life should go, about how things should turn out. If God would just get on my page and do all of the things that I am asking him to do, then my life would be pretty good. You may identify with that. And we think if I just, if he would just do all of my, like, God, I've got a great plan going here. If you could just catch up, it would be amazing. Like that would really, but that's not what happens in this life. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And sometimes we don't like that. Sometimes that's difficult to accept that there could possibly be thoughts higher than our thoughts or plans better than our plans. But Jesus taught that. And so sometimes it becomes frustrating because we feel like I've got a great plan, but that's not the gospel Jesus taught. Jesus said, you want to be my follower, get ready for everybody to hate and despise you. You want to be a follower of me, get ready for the world and for you to have troubles and trials and persecutions. Get ready for all of that to come into your life. And then at the end, he says, but don't worry, I've overcome the world. Kind of good luck at the end, right? It'll all work out in the end. But in the meantime, we can get incredibly frustrated when shipwrecked in life, when the things we expected to happen didn't happen. When the way we expected it to go didn't come to pass. We can get shipwrecked. And so what do we do in those moments? Honestly, what do we do in those when our expectations aren't fulfilled? I think about Job in the Bible. It's a story of a man who is incredibly wealthy. Oldest book of the Bible in written chronological order. Oldest book. That oldest book of the Bible, it's a story of a man that was incredibly wealthy and blessed, had great businesses, incredible family, loved the Lord all of his heart, did all these things, and God blessed him in his life. Until one day the devil goes up to heaven. And he's like, I've seen all the stuff that Job does, but I think he just serves you because all that you do for him, God. And God said, I don't think that's true. And the devil said, well, let me show you. Let me take everything from him. And God said, go ahead, take everything. All you can't touch is his life. And so in just a few days, in a span of just a short period, Job loses everything. Loses all his businesses, all his wealth, all his family, all of his health that he starts to, starts to sit on the ash heap. Until finally it comes to the point where his wife looks at him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? Like, that's just, you're at the end of it all. And Job writes this in the book of Job. And I don't know if you can identify with this thought. Not that it's a right or wrong thought, but I'm just, I don't know if you've identified with this, that Job is in this place, that he writes this. And he says, when I hoped for good, evil came. And when I looked for light, then came darkness. Maybe you hoped for one thing and something else came in your life. Maybe you had plans and expectations for one thing and something that you completely unexpected came roaring in. Maybe you were praying and believing God to heal your marriage and it still ended in divorce. Or maybe you were praying for a loved one who was sick and they didn't get better or maybe they passed away. Or maybe you were playing for a child who had ran far into the world and you were praying for them to come, but they're still living that wayward life. Or maybe you were praying for a promotion and the economy turned south and forget the promotion now. All you're praying for is your employment. What do we do in these times of life when things don't happen the way we expect them to? When we look for good, but evil came. When we look for light, but only darkness. What do we do in those moments? What happens when our faith gets shipwrecked because God's not meeting our expectations? And we have to settle the same question that Job had to settle, that Judas couldn't settle. Do I serve God for who he is or for what he does? Do I serve him for who he is or for what he does? So many times we're only in this for what God can do for us. And if that's the case, just like Judas, we become frustrated when our expectations of who God is supposed to be doesn't come to pass. When our expectations of what's supposed to happen, how we think ought to take place, doesn't match up with what God is working out. God's plan for his kingdom was far different than what Judas expected. And he couldn't reconcile it because he didn't see things through the right lens. Yet maybe others of us are just destroyed by religion. 
Judas distracted by sin. He's deceived by false expectations, but then just destroyed by religion. You know, that's what happened to him. Judas had a moment that he was repentant. The Bible writes that, that he was filled with remorse. He had a moment in the midst of all. He realized what he did was wrong and he wanted to make it right, but he went to the wrong place. He had that moment. Instead of turning to relationship with Christ, he turns to He runs to the religious leaders. He goes right back to the Pharisees and he runs back with the 30 pieces and he says, what do I need to do to make this right? And he flings the 30 pieces of silver at them. He says, I've shed innocent blood. What can I do? And their response is, this is your fault. You've done this. They said, what is that to us? I don't care if you're in this remorseful moment. I don't care. He runs to religion and they cast him out. They say, this is your responsibility. And some of you realize today that you have fallen short. You realize that you have come up short against the expectation of your life. You realize there's an area that needs to change and you want to change it. But you went to religion and religion said, it's your fault. This is on you. It's your responsibility to make this thing right. You need to try harder and you need to give more and you need to be better and you need to attend more. And all of this is on your shoulders to make this thing happen. It's your fault. Jesus talked about that in Luke chapter 11. And honestly, it's a warning maybe to some of us today, but he says, what sorrow awaits you, you experts in religious law. What sorrow awaits you experts in the religious law for you crush people. With unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. Can I just say, church, let this never be us. Jesus said, what sorrow awaits you. You are experts in the law. You know how to spin it and you know how to use it as a club on people. You know how to use this thing that people would run in a moment of remorse, in a moment of repentance, that you would crush them under the weight and never lift a finger to help. So Judas goes to religion. He runs to the Pharisees, but they say, this is on you. What is that to us? It's on your shoulders. And so many of you, so many of us have been crushed under the weight. Where you had that moment, you knew something needed to be made right, but you went to religion and religion will suck the life out of you. It will suck the very life out of you. I want you to know that giving and serving and attending, all of those things are great. But if it's checklists and if it's just things to do and if it's just your way of getting close to God, it will suck the life out of you every single time. And the harder and harder that you try, the further you will find yourself from Jesus. The further you will find yourself, because no matter what we try, we as humans, we will screw it up. I don't know if you've spent time around humans lately, we will screw it up. We will mess things up. And so many of us get to the place and you might be there this Easter week that you are thinking, I'm too far gone. There's no way God could love or save a person like me. There's no way he could ever make it right. I've got to do this on my own. You might tell yourself that lie. But I want you to know the good news of Easter, the good news of the gospel is actually found one verse after the most popular verse in scripture. We all know John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then one verse later, verse 17, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That he didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That we might be saved. Listen to me, everybody. The good news of Easter, Jesus didn't come to make you guilty. He came to set you free. He came to set you free. Yeah, we can give God praise for that. That he didn't come into this world to condemn. He came to set you free. He came that the world through him might be saved. 
from everything that we've ever done, for every sin you've ever committed, that he paid the price at Calvary. That he paid the price for our sins. And we see in this story that's fascinating to me is Judas was not the only betrayer that night. He wasn't the only villain that night. See, Peter, at the same supper, Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, I've been praying for you because the enemy wants to have you to sift you like wheat. But I pray that you would stand strong in the time of trial. I pray that you would stand strong. And Peter's like, I will, Lord. I will stand strong. I'm glad you prayed, but you didn't need to because I'm going to be with you to the end, oh, Lord. And she's like, no, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, there's no way that's going to happen. But thank you, Lord, for that encouragement. You know, it's just not, it's just not going to happen. Be with you to the end. Well, Jesus is arrested. He's taken to the house of Caiaphas to put on trial. The Bible says Peter follows at a distance. And so he's warming himself at the fire. And a little servant girl comes up to him. And she's like, didn't I see you with Jesus? Aren't you one of the people that followed him? Aren't you one of his? And Peter's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I've, never, I've never met them. I don't, you're just wrong. You're seeing things. It's dark out here. You just don't know. And then a little bit later, he's warming himself. At another, and a group of people are like, no, no, she was right. I, we've seen you with Jesus. You're, you're one of those. And he's like, I don't know. what. Absolutely, I don't know Jesus. I've never seen him before. I just absolutely not. And he runs to another part. About an hour later, another group of people are like, yeah, you're a Galilean. You're one of those people that follow him. And Jesus is like, there's, and Peter is like, there's no way. I don't know him. And he curses at them. I don't know who he is. And at that moment, the book of Luke says, Jesus turns from his trial and looks across and stares straight at Peter. Can you imagine the gaze of the Savior in that moment? Piercing through to Peter. And he realizes, he remembers the words of Jesus. Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. He remembers at the supper that he, he proclaimed in front of them all, I'll never deny you, I'll never betray you, I'll never. In that moment, that he realizes what he's done. The Bible says that Peter goes outside and he weeps bitterly. He runs out and he weeps bitterly. And yet his story doesn't end like Judas. See, that moment, at that same exact moment, it says when Judas went out, Peter goes out and he weeps and Judas goes out. Judas repented the same way as Peter is in that moment, the same way that he feels broken. But Peter's story doesn't go the same way as Judas. It doesn't end the same way. So that leaves us with the question, what is the difference between Judas and Peter? See, remember Judas, like many of us, distracted by sin, deceived by false expectations, destroyed by religion. In his moment of crisis, he doesn't turn to Jesus, he turns to religion. He runs to the Pharisees, but Peter depended on his relationship with Jesus. One of the most fascinating things that you'll read in your Bibles and the Gospels, everywhere that it mentions the disciples, everywhere it lists them, there's a few variations in the way, just a couple, but it's mostly the same in the way that it lists them. And some theologians believe that they list the disciples in order of their relationship with Jesus. Because every list that you see, Peter is always first. And in every list that you read, Judas is always last. See, Peter had a relationship with, Judah, with Jesus. Judas just saw religion. Judas was just there for the miracles. Judas was there and heard what was happening. Judas was kind of around it all. Judas was there for the money. Judas was around it, but he wasn't a part of it. Judas didn't have a relationship with Jesus that in his moment of crisis, he had nowhere to turn. Peter, betraying Jesus, Peter, doing all those things, still at the end, ran to his relationship with him. That at the end, that he sat with Jesus at that fire that Jesus looked at him and three times brings him back. Three times forgives him. Three times says, feed my sheep. That he restores Peter. Peter had a relationship with Jesus in those moments. And so my question for you this Palm Sunday, 
is what will you choose? Like many of us, Judas knew that he was a sinner. Judas had the moment. He wasn't so disconnected from it that he didn't realize the effects of it. He knew he was a sinner. So many of us know we have areas of our life that are not right before God. We know we've kept strongholds and shortcomings in our life that need to be forgiven, that need to be set free. But in those moments, my question for you is, where do you turn? Is it to religion? Do you go to the checkboxes to say, what do I need to do to make it right? What do I need to do? The weight of the responsibility on my shoulders. I've got to earn my way to God that you have to attend more or give more or somehow be better in order to make it right. If that's where you turn and you're going down the path of Judas. But if you say in that moment, the difference between them is Judas knew he was a sinner. Peter knew he needed a savior. Peter knew where he could go to make it right. Peter knew. Peter understood. And so each one of us this Palm Sunday, we get to choose. Judas paid the price for his own sin, but Peter let Jesus pay the price for his. This Palm Sunday, we get to choose. All of us betrayed Jesus. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the standard. All of us have turned our backs. But in our moment of repentance, are we going to run to religion or are we going to run to Jesus? We're going to be Judas or are we going to be Peter? Every head bowed today as we pray. Lord, we ask you. God, on this Palm Sunday, I ask you. Lord, that you would show us that it's in you that we find salvation. It's in you that we find forgiveness. It's in you that we find repentance. So right now, if you're here today or you're watching online and you're, talking, you're just beginning to think, you've realized that you have a sin in your life. You realize there's something that needs to be made right. I just want you to remember that Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to set you free. He came to set you free. And so you have a choice. God's given us that freedom of choice. You can run to religion. You can continue to check off the boxes. You can say, if I can just get it together, I can run to him. Well, you have the choice this morning that Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, come to me and I'll give you rest. Those that religion has placed a weight on your back, has crushed you under the weight and not lifted a finger to help. Those of you who are broken because maybe somebody turned you away. Maybe somebody told you you weren't good enough. Maybe somebody told you there's no way God could ever love you. Those of you who have been broken under Jesus is saying, come to me. Run to me. That he's close to the brokenhearted. So I can't think of a better time than right now. That you would make that choice. That you would say, I need forgiveness and I'm going to choose like Peter. I'm going to Jesus. going to Jesus. So right now, I want to give you that opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity to run to him. It starts with a prayer of repentance, a prayer of salvation, and it'd be my honor to pray it with you. And honestly, as a church, we have dedicated where we will pray this prayer with you, but you have to mean it in your own heart. You say, there's things in my life that I cannot make right. I promise you, you cannot make them right on your own, but you can run to him. 
The one who shed his blood for you at Calvary. The one who loves you more than you could possibly imagine. The one who can cleanse you of your sins and set you free. So right now, if that's you, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. But if you say, that's me, I want to make it right. I'm sick of going to religion. I want to run to Jesus. If that's you right now, pray this prayer. If you're watching online or you're in the room, we're going to pray it with you. But say these words. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin, of all my mistakes. Set me free. I believe you died on the cross. And Jesus, I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. And God, I thank you today for every person in this place, God. And we celebrate the miracle of what you've done in our lives. God, even in the midst of crisis, even in the midst of global unrest, God, we declare that you are still on your throne. And God, I thank you for what you are doing, that you have promised that you are faithful. That you have promised that you are good and Lord, that we can run to you in the middle of our trial. We can run to you in the middle of our mess. We can run to you in the middle of uncertainty. That when we are brokenhearted, you have promised that you will pick us up. That when we are far, you have brought us close. That when there was no other way that we could ever get close to God, Jesus, you gave your life and you bought our freedom. That you broke the chains. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you as we lead into this Easter week. We thank you that you have set us free with your sacrifice on the cross. And one more time, we declare our love and our repentance and our acceptance of the gift that you've given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children, all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church, let's give him praise today.